Welcome to the New Species Podcast. I'm your host, Zoe Albion. On this podcast, we learn about recent discoveries of species that are new to science, but not necessarily new to nature. We ask scientists how they found these new species and why they matter. We learn about what makes a new species and hear some behind the scenes stories along the way. So join us as we explore the biodiversity of our planet and the scientists who help us better understand it. Welcome to the New Species Podcast. I'm your host, Zoe Albion, and I'm here today with Dr. Mark Paulette, Research Manager at the Research Institute for Nature and Forests in Brussels. He's here today to tell me about his paper in Volume 13, Issue 11 of Insects, in which he and his co-authors describe seven new species of Dolichopodidae, long-legged flies from southwestern Europe. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me, yeah, Zoe. So let's break down this group of flies. Dolichopodidae is a very large group. It includes more than 7,000 species. How can we recognize them and where should we look for them? So actually there are uh, over 8,000 uh, at this moment, not included the seven we described uh, last week, of course. It's, um, it's an important group. It's the fourth most uh, species-rich family in the order of two winged, winged uh, insects, flies. Uh, next to um, uh, crane flies, parasitic uh, flies, and uh, rubber flies. Uh, well, by the way, uh, the world counts at this moment 166,000 species of flies. Wow. It's a huge, huge group. You might not remember, but uh, these uh, flies, these uh, long-legged flies, might have crossed your eye uh, during your life, but you, you have not noticed. Uh, you can recognize them quite easily. They are uh, greenish, brilliant green, uh, between a few uh, millimeters to one centimeter of body size. Uh, they have a protruding mouth parts and moderately to uh, really slender legs, hence the name of the family. And they are very nervous. So they really uh, are a challenge to any photographer who might attempt to, uh, to uh, take a picture. And you do not need to do any effort to, uh, to look for them. I mean, they occur everywhere in uh, natural agricultural landscapes, also in urban, uh, suburban uh, areas. Um, most are found on low vegetation or uh, muddy soils or, uh, or that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, the highest abundances and species richness you find in uh, really humid habitats like swamps, uh, riparian habitats, uh, marshlands, uh, uh, and so on. Uh, like peat bogs and salt marshes, more extreme habitats, uh, house a more specialized fauna. Less species, but, but uh, species that you do not find anywhere else. And then, um, well, you find them everywhere, also uh, on walls, on your uh, uh, house, for instance, or on uh, tree trunks. And that's actually the, the habitat where you find these Medetera flies, which are also known as woodpecker flies. So I've certainly seen them in my life, but... Yeah, next, next spring, if you, uh, if you uh, look out for them, uh, you might see, especially in North America, you might see some really brilliantly green uh, species on low vegetation with maculated wings. So uh, I'm quite sure you will uh, see some. I'm looking forward to finding some. 
And and what do they do? Are they any uh, use to us? Well, first of all, any species should have the right to live without any use for humankind, I, I think. But uh, fortunately, they do. They are useful. And they contribute as... Um, as a group to uh, the, the ecosystem service uh, crop protection. So they uh, avoid uh, insects like aphids and small caterpillars and stuff to uh, devour all our vegetables um, and so on. So uh, they have a similar role like ground beetles and spiders, especially in the humid uh, habitats. And they can be really abundant. So they uh, are really uh, a helper in our fight to uh, to to save some food for uh, for ourselves. <laughs> uh, next to that, the family serves very well as a bioindicator, which means that um, you can use them to assess the natural value of a site, and that is because uh, there are a sufficient number of species in a the family. They are quite easily uh, identified. Uh, many species have a very strict habitat affinity, so they only occur in a certain habitat. And uh, above all, they are very sensitive to uh, environmental alterations. So if something, something happens in their environment, you will see it quickly in the composition of uh, this Dolchopodit uh, fauna. Um, what's also interesting in the family is courtship, because a lot of um, uh, males of a lot of species have what we call male secondary sexual characters. And these are ornaments or modifications on uh, antennae, uh, wings, and especially legs. And very, they are really specific, so typical for the species itself, only one species, and very uh, important for the identification. And you have like extreme examples, like uh, we have in uh, Europe, uh, Campsignemus magius, magius from magic, and it's a well-chosen uh, uh, name because on its four uh, tarsus, so a tarsus is a piece of the leg with five uh, tarsomias, five parts. Each part has a different appendage. So it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's crazy. And, and I have um, an undescribed uh, species from Panama. Um, and in that species, the final tarsomere, so the say you can compare it with your toe, your toe, the toe is as long as the entire body. Wow. And we, yeah, <laughs> but we have no idea how these species, only in the male, of poor bastard, how these <laughs> uh, uh, move around uh, and how they display their courtship. We have no idea. So the the family is full of wonders to be um, discovered. That that was going to be a question. I was wondering how they display all these fancy modifications, um, and you don't really know. Well, uh, we, we in uh, in um, in some species we do because, uh, for instance, species that have uh, enlarged uh, apical tarsi with these are flags at the end of their uh, uh, tarsi, so foot. Well, they uh, wave them. At each side, so they approach the female from the back end, and they wave them at each end. So the 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 female is totally uh, uh, dazzled, and then <laughs> in the meantime, uh, they take care of uh, their offspring. Very interesting. Yeah, real seducers. This uh, these male dolichopodids. <laughs> um, and so, uh, what are the odds of finding a new dolichopodid species in Europe and and beyond, and and how are they best collected? 
Yeah, well, um, the 8,000 species, that's really a tip of the iceberg. Uh, well, not in Europe and not in North America, but certainly in the tropics. Um, there must also be, uh, you have to take into account the difference between a new species to a country or a region and a new species to science. For instance, in 2019, we uh, discovered 170 species new to Portugal, uh, of which 40 were new to science. So there's, there's, there's a real difference. And some, some places in the world are much richer than others. So in 2015, we... Uh, explored um, the, the western, uh, southwestern most corner of uh, French Guiana. So really bordering uh, uh, at uh, Suriname and uh, Brazil. And we found 244 species in a perimeter of one square kilometer. That's about the same number uh, as the Netherlands. This is wow. found in the Netherlands. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, <laughs> and that was not the end. I mean, we calculated via rarefaction analysis that there should at least be uh, uh, three hundred, at least. Well, but it's not um, it's not the same in all subfamilies. So we have the family Dolichopodidae, and in this family there is a structure uh, via subfamilies. And there is, for instance, my favorite family, uh, well, name doesn't matter really, Achalkine. <laughs> and um, this, I have in my collections over 200 undescribed species that are waiting patiently, I hope, uh, for me to retire and to uh, take care of this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot to do. So, and you asked me about how to collect. Well, um, the most uh, widely used uh, methods are molest traps. It's like a defunctional tent for camping, but there is a, a vertical wall inside. And there is a, the, um, the roof is, uh, has a very uh, slight slope until uh, collecting jars. So um, the not um, smart insects, they bump into, uh, it's mainly for us flying insects, of course. They, they bump, bump into the vertical wall. They, if they do not fall down, they crawl up the slope and then they end up in the collecting jar. It's mainly for hymenoptera, like wasps, bees, and, uh, and flies. Then you have, of course, sweep nets. You sweep uh, along vegetation or on site. That's like uh, collecting butterflies. Only the mesh of a diptera net is much smaller in order to, to avoid damage, uh, damaging the legs. And my fi final and favorite trap is the, is the band trap. And you, you know that too, right? I, I actually don't. You yeah. don't? Okay. I don't? I've never used a pan trap. Well, pan traps are... are really simple it's a, it's a bowl it's a plastic bowl that you, of different colors well of one color but you have them in different colors and you fill them with a, a fluid to uh, to kill and to store like formalin or like propylene glycol or anything else or even salt water with detergent for a few days and um and the different you put them um on the soil or you can raise them on a pole or you can attach them to trees and they collect whatever you like according to the color and that's yeah and that's interesting because um dark colored band traps attract arboreal species while yellow attract most other species most soil dwelling species and white produces an in-between result 
And that's the interesting thing. If you really want to study arboreal species, you just stick to dark colored pan traps. That is, that is fascinating. And it's such a simple difference, but it sounds incredibly effective. Yeah. But on the other hand, an advantage is if you study an unknown fauna, like for instance, Chile, you go there, you apply these different colors, and then you find species that are most abundant in the blue traps. You can be almost certain that these are arboreal species. So it actually delivers ecological information purely by by uh, the use of a different color. That is so interesting. Um, and does this work at night as well? Well, most species are uh, uh, diurnal. They do not know. They do not uh, because um, they uh, because of the courtship, they need visual visual clues. You see, so they are not. Uh, well, you, you find some at light rest, but this is a real a real exception. You mainly find them um, during the day, and they are actually very active. Okay, so once you've collected these flies, what is the process of describing a new species of long-legged fly? Well, um, it's a very pertinent question, like the previous ones, obviously. Um, the The main thing is, if you really uh, want to see if a species is new, you need some tools. And the most obvious are identification pieces, you know. Uh, also, uh, original literature is very uh, useful. Then, uh, in addition, also identify specimens, say a, a reference collection of species, specimens that are correctly reliably, so uh, you can compare. And, of course, uh, experience. I mean, to, to, to give you an example, I studied this family since 1985. I have seen close to 1 million specimens. So I can, with a certain degree of certainty, I can say that the specimen belongs to one species, even if it shows a rather extensive intra-specific variation. And that's very difficult for somebody who starts to study that kind of um, groups, you see. Some species are so variable that they have Specimens with yellow legs, lightly infuscate legs, even darker legs, that's where uh, expertise comes in. And how did you and your colleagues make the diagnoses that you describe in your paper? How, how can you be so sure that the seven species are all different and not yet described? Well, um, first of all, we go through the two different steps. We uh, try to match, to find a match in identification key. Uh, most, not most of the time, but Often you end up with the doubt. I doubt between this species or this species or only one species because identification keys are not all, always as good. So then you could uh, check original uh, literature, original um, descriptions, but most of these species are described in the, the 1800s, 1900s. So some are very brief, so hardly use, useful. Then if you still doubt, you can um, study the type specimens, if there are some left, because some are really destroyed. So, But that takes contacting museums and so on. And museums uh, changed recently their policy and do not are not very keen to send them over. So they rather provide you with uh, pictures. But if you still are in doubt after that, or if you have no access to type specimens, you can uh, consult colleagues. 
also very interesting if you if if you have them, of course. And then if you uh, really uh, do not find a match, then and you have sufficient experience, I think that you can that you can say that you are dealing with uh, with a new species. And that's the only only the start of the process. Once you come there, then <laughs> the tedious work. It's really tedious. It's fun <laughs> but tedious. But the tedious work start and then also according to the group you focus on certain characters you don't have to describe every little hair or sita or bristle no it's it's useless you know as an ex expert you know which characters you should include in the description so i have a database with over 170 character states which i score so it's that's that that's the tediousness right takes some time it takes about two and a half hours to to go through this process for one species you know you are absolutely sure that you do not miss on any character and uh, the the major advantage of this system is that you can compare between each you can compare the different species on each character and it's also a very good tool to uh, later on construct the identification key so it works, but it's um, how are we certain? That's what, that was basically your question. How uh, are we certain that these are new species? Um, I didn't find any match at all, despite the conspicuous eye color pattern. I searched all the literature, and um, yeah, I'm I'm quite sure they. Uh, I'm no, no. I'm absolutely one hundred percent sure that these are new species. And of course, your paper has gone through the peer review process, so you're not the only one who is sure. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I would, would like to, to add another little bit. It's not an important. The main um, character that distinguishes the different species is the male geni genital apparatus. And some are very small. Others are have elaborate uh, appendages. And it's a key lock system, you know, it's a key lock system. Uh, the, it, it makes sure that one, a male of one species cannot copulate with a female of another species. So uh, that's the reason. But to make a decision about which small uh, difference makes it to a valid species is again experience. And uh, the seven species showed sufficient differences, also in the non-genital characters. Um, between each other and also bet, uh, with the known species. So, so I'm, I'm quite, um, yeah, quite certain that we, uh, that we describe new species. Yeah. And you've placed these new species in the genus Mediterra. Um, what was your reason to decide that they belonged there? Belonged in Mediterra. That's a really good remark because that's actually the first step in your in describing a new species. You know, you you have to know in which genus they belong. The characters are really um, quite clear. The venation uh, is typical. Also, they do not uh, have. Uh, yeah, but this is really technical. But anyhow, I give you one example. They sure. do not have a preapical bristle on the hind femur. Um, and so on, and the genitalia are uh, really obviously Mediterranean. It's amazing to me how much very specific experience that you and other taxonomists have. I think people who are not involved in taxonomy 
don't realize the level of expert opinion uh, you can offer uh, when you look at a fly and you can say, oh, well, that one doesn't have the right bristle. So obviously it's in a different genus. I mean, that is amazing. I mean, we cannot explain, taxonomists cannot explain their passion. And so on, but you build up the experience, which is often indeed quite unique. But you need it. You need it. For instance, um, I've been contacted by several organizations, especially for the identification of Medetra, because it's such, it's not, not the most, but one of the most uh, difficult to identify within the, the family, of course. Zooming out beyond their interesting taxonomy, they also have um, some very interesting behavior. And I know that one of the things they do, they live in a special relationship to the scolotine beetles, the little bark beetles um, that dig galleries or tunneled chambers into wood. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, typical. That's the only genus that uh, has this natural history trait uh, as an um, antagonist of uh, bark beetle uh, uh, stadia. And uh, the fact is, mainly the larvae live in these galleries and prey on uh, every stage of these bark beetles. Um, and the interesting thing is that um, Medetra, the woodpecker flies, are attracted to infested trees by chemical compounds that are released by the tree when infested, by the beetles and by some microorganisms that line up the, the galleries. It's not yet known which of these compounds uh, is the strongest or what do they... Um, uh, what do they cause? But anyhow, um, you should think of um, that compound and what's the meaning is for a female and a male, Medetra. For the female, it means there is food for your kids. Oviposit, and you have a brilliant offspring. To the male, the same compound should mean there are mates for you. And perhaps different compounds play a different role. It's not yet... Uh, worked out, but still in, in, uh, in Sweden, they are working on this uh, chemical uh, communication. So most, most Medetra are uh, confined to treatments, right? But you have within the, within this genus, you have two other lineages. One of lineage, um, to that lineage belong the seven species we described, and they do not um, occur on tree trunks. They uh, rather uh, are found on uh, uh, hard substrates like uh, rocks and we have no clue where the larvae live so the larvae that normally live in galleries we have no clue so we still have to find and then you have another uh, lineage um, within Medetra that is found both on tree trunks but also on um, dry sandy soils and uh, the same here no clue but the strange thing is that um, two years ago I found some Medetra in my uh, in my home. Well, flies indoors is no big uh, surprise. Uh, besides the fact that I found them in January, midwinter, and that's really not usual. So we uh, started a little search party in our home, and and we found out that um, uh, originated from uh, lemon pot plants. Really? Yes. Um, and uh, well, we, we, we had a lemon plant in an empty bedroom and a lemon plant in the kitchen in both, um, both rooms. We found this species. Okay, so I put uh, the lemon plants outside and indeed in spring, uh, the same species emerged. 
And it actually, it has been shown that it also occurs in greenhouses in the Netherlands and might be an antagonist for uh, all kinds of pest species in greenhouses. But we do not know where the larvae live. There's so much more to study. Yeah, absolutely. There's no end. So I'm looking at a picture of one right now, and these flies are absolutely stunning. Maybe not all listeners would agree, but um, I think particularly the iridescent colors on these flies, they're absolutely gorgeous. And the, the coloration is quite unique. Is that right? Their, their eyes are bi or multicolored? Well, um, it's uh, certainly uh, new, absolutely new in, in this uh, genus of woodpecker flies. It, it has been known in uh, certain other subfamilies. Uh, but the interesting thing here is that it occurs in both sexes. Normally, it's actually a, an attribute that males, again, use during courtship. Because males have such uh, iridescent uh, colors, uh, eye colors, and females just have plain uh, eye colors. In this, woodpecker flies both have it. So it might not play a role in, um, in courtship behavior, but it might play a role in uh, speech recognition so that they know, aha, uh -huh, that that's a female of uh, my own uh, uh, kind. But um, it's, it's, yeah, it's uh, really special, especially in Dolichopodids, you find it in Tavanis and other uh, Diptera uh, more frequently. But here, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite unique. And how did you name these new species? Uh, well, you saw the, the saw the names. I have a uh, quite a strict protocol. I'm very, very um, into uh, using a morphological uh, attribute because that's the whole point of giving a species a name, right? If you uh, call, for instance, a species long hippies, you know, then it has long uh, legs. If you call it long hippies, Penis, then you know it has a it has long wings and so on and so on. Albi France means a white uh, a white uh, head or a white uh, face. You know you should I, I think you should use the most conspicuous attribute to give it a name so that you you yourself can remember the name when you when you encounter the species again. That is often forgotten. So what we did here is I think we uh, we named. Five species according to uh, uh, a certain uh, morphological attribute. The second choice, if you don't find any uh, clear attribute, you can uh, use a, a site or the location where you have found it. So we named one Lusitana after Portugal and Hispanica after uh, Spain. And the third uh, series, say a third category, are people. You can name it after a person that contributed to a certain... Uh, in a certain way to the research or any kind. So uh, I have still a, a species uh, from uh, the Neotropics uh, with the name Federeri, you know, the, the famous uh, tennis player, because <laughs> yes. it, has a, it has a tarsus that ends like a tennis racket. So, but it's still <laughs> in this slide, but it's, it's coming up. Wow, that is so exciting. So why is biodiversity discovery so important? And why does this discovery matter? Well, uh, everybody knows that a large number of areas in the world are destroyed at an increasing uh, pace. Uh, and we don't even know what, what is there, uh, first of all. Uh, but also in our own backyard, we don't know 
what really is there. I have uh, certain examples. I have a friend in the Netherlands who has like um, a transparent roof and discovered over 2000 species of insects there. Nobody knows how they came there, how they were where they originated from, but still they are there. So it's only, we think we know something and, and often we uh, realize it's very little. L like for uh, last year in the BioBlitz uh, action in my uh, own very little backyard, I put pan traps and I found the species. I uh, only uh, collected this far in very old mature forests. I can tell you my backyard is not that kind of a habitat. Wow. Uh, but still, but still, we uh, we keep on finding these uh, these things. And if the fact is that giving a species a name is of paramount importance. You know, without the name, species does not exist. And it, you can most easily compare it if you uh, imagine that your uh, the people you know have no names. So how how to address them, or or even talk about them in their absence? It's crazy difficult and the more you know the more say the more more of the the imaginary facebook page of the species is filled if you have no name you cannot start protecting the species and so on nothing is possible and it takes some time yeah it takes some time to describe them but but it's our role i think to to do that and it's only a very small contribution to to make this species known to the to the world so I'm very happy to have this passion. And you clearly are very passionate about it. I am. Yeah. I, I, I should deny, but yes, I am. <laughs> no, it's, it's wonderful. It's one of the ways that I, I think that we can get other people to care about taxonomy and our particular groups uh, is to be passionate about them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's foundation. It's really, taxonomy is really a, a language to communicate about biodiversity. If you don't have this, it's really, uh, really important. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing all that you know. I'm really looking forward to those 200 or some new species that you're going to. I will let you know. <laughs> I send you a copy when it's yes, finished. Yes, please. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Very, I'm very glad I, I was part of uh, this podcast. Thank, thanks, Zoe. Dr. Mark Paulette's paper, Discovery of a Lineage of Soil-Dwelling Madeira Species with Multicolored Eyes in Southern Europe, can be found in Volume 13, Issue 11 of Insects. See the episode details for a link to the paper, and to learn more about Mark and his work, you can take a look at his INBO research page. Thanks for listening to this episode of the New Species Podcast. This podcast was created by Brian Patrick and is edited and produced by Zoe Albion. If you would like to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash newspeciespodcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with questions or feedback, please email us at newspeciespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>